0: Hi and welcome to How I Got Back to Exercise with me Sophie Barlow where each week I speak to a different guest about their journey getting back to exercise. Along the way we have got lots of chats and we always get some great tips as well so thank you so much for coming along and thank you also to audionautics.com for the fab music so today I am so pleased to welcome Courtney Garford to the podcast of how I got back to exercise. So Courtney, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. So Courtney is a clinical nutritionist. She is working all the time with people talking obviously about their diet, nutrition, but she has got her own story about getting back to exercise and how you know her expertise helped her and things that she has learned along the way. So Courtney, to start off with, I I try and sort of start at the beginning a little bit um, with people who come in, and I'm just wondering, have you always been into exercise So as a child? Were you always sporty? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I came from a really um physically active family. So, um my mum and dad were both playing netball and football growing up so we grew up around that kind of environment i'm in australia so that's very typical um so grew up playing a lot of sports i've played netball from the age of about 7 um i was swimming competitively through primary school and start of high school i've done a couple of like did a couple of triathlons few fun runs um had a go at girls footy had a go at athletics did a lot of sports growing up
0: So, what kind of happened then? You're obviously really, you were really sporty, doing really well with exercise. Um, And then, sort of, take us through sort of your 20s and 30s um, and kind of what was your trajectory then?
1: Yeah. So, I moved out of home um, at 17 to go to uni. So, I finished school, was straight to uni. Noticed a few things weren't quite right at that point in time. So, I put it down to a bit of a gluten intolerance maybe a dairy intolerance started playing around with my diet as a lot of early twenties and late teenagers do was, you know, going sugar-free, dairy-free gluten-free playing around with them all trying to work out what's going on. Um, and then that kind of resolved itself. It took me a little bit once I moved out of home um, to find my feet again with like netball teams and things like that. So I was just running. I think I did a 12 K fun run that first year I moved out of home and then it was a couple years after that. I think I was 21 or 22 at the time, and I noticed that I wasn't recovering from exercise the way I had been before, and that was one of the first signs of my fibromyalgia. So I wasn't, I wasn't recovering properly. Um, I was getting a lot of weird pains uh, so i had i was playing netball again then and like i remember saying to my parents like i feel like i've rolled both my ankles and i don't remember doing it and they were like you need to go to, like there's something not right like you would remember doing that you need to go to a doctor so it was kind of around that point where i wasn't i wasn't recovering um, i had a whole lot of mental health things going on at the same time too So I was being told, you know, to look after your mental health. You should be exercising more. And the more I was exercising, the more of these pains I was having. Um, So it was all kind of snowballing, I guess, at that point in time. Like I was then getting a whole lot of fatigue from the pain. So like by the time we, like at this point in time, we were talking about, I I would have been 22. I was working only just managing a full-time job. I was sleeping 13 14 hours a night like I'd have like I'd sleep right until I pretty much had to get up and get changed and go to work I'd eat my breakfast at my desk because I didn't have time to eat it before I left um I'd come home I might walk the dog I'd either like go play netball which would be half a game because that was all I could manage or I'd walk the dog and then I would go back to bed so I didn't have a social life because I couldn't do it and I was really quite isolated in that sense as well That is quite a change, isn't
0: it? From kind of, yeah, your history and your background. But that is what that is interesting in the first instance about, you know, your parents almost kind of like sitting on your shoulder and going, No, you are right. You know, you do need to go and see a GP. You do need some medical advice. Mm. Because actually, it's hard with some of the sort of diffuse, you know, the different symptoms that you've described. You can, and there's so many different things going on in your life. You've got lots happening, haven't you, with the cold, like, working full time, just finish your studies. You know, you can think, oh, maybe I'm just depleted, but there are some real, that is so helpful to have that support team around you, isn't it? To say, no, you are right, go and get some help. And then how did you feel the response from kind of healthcare practitioners and where did you start I guess with your sort of diagnostic journey from from there
1: yeah yeah so I went and saw my GP and went to my GP went through everything that was happening they went down the mental health path because I was under a lot of stress which was fair enough so they went down the mental health path first it was like it's you know it's stress it's everything else just focus on that So that would have been around the like June, July of that year. By the November, December, things had progressed quite significantly and I had a lot on. They put me on antidepressants thinking that that would help with the pain. And then by June, July, the next year, so we are coming up to 12 months of symptoms, still hadn't improved. So then I was referred to a psychiatrist um, and she was the one who really picked up on what was happening. So we changed medications, played around with those a bit. And then um, I went into her one day and I'd written it all. I'm a notebook person, journal, everything. I went in there and I was like, look, I can tell you that I feel good. So I go do things, my pain increases, and then my mood drops. It's not the mood drop causing the pain. It's the exercise, feeling good, pain starts, mood drops. It's not depression causing this pain. There's something else happening. And she looked at me and said, I think it's lupus or fibromyalgia. She's like, it's not my place to diagnose, but that is what I'm thinking. And she's like, you need to see a rheumatologist, which was amazing of her and bordering, like it is outside her scope of practice to diagnose. But the fact that she was able to look at it holistically and be like, this isn't my thing. There's something else going on here was amazing. Then was referred to a rheumatologist, went in with everything I had and I'd written down everything. And I so strongly recommend anyone who is going through chronic illness does that because when I was going through all this, I had a lot of brain fog and I would get into appointments and forget things. Whereas I was able to open up my notebook and be like, here's my pain scores on different days. Here's how my symptoms have been tracking. Here's what has been happening on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I was diagnosed in one appointment, which was like, there was no mucking around. There was no back and forward. And it was also more cost effective for me that I didn't have to have a heap of appointments. Um, So that was my journey to diagnosis. So I was really lucky in that I didn't have to see a lot of specialists and it only took me two years. The average for fibromyalgia in the last research I saw was seven doctors over five years. So I had three over two years look at me and get a diagnosis. So I was pretty fortunate in that respect.
0: That is such a Good story. Don't we love that practitioner, that psychiatrist? Mm. Thank goodness for her. You're able to speak clearly to her about cause and effect, and she can take that information. And, and actually, as things go on, and I mean, gosh, two years sounds like a long time to most people, doesn't it? But actually, mm. it, it isn't that long with the kind of complicated symptom picture that you that people do have with fibromyalgia. And that of course, as things goes on and on, when you're in pain for a long time, it is creating chronic stress, it is not helping that whole inflammatory process. You know, it's just, yes. it's a really vicious circle, isn't it? So. To be able to you know, have somebody cut through that, well, you cut through it and then she cut mm. through it, it's extremely helpful, but I imagine probably your studies and your health background really helped you. But then, yeah, brilliant to so then go to rheumatology, everyone's on the same page, yeah. you've got your pain scores and off you go. And that is, a, that is brilliant advice. So I just wanted to just take it back just briefly, to your kind of mindset and that is a real difficulty isn't it when you're in that kind of with something like fibromyalgia I noticed you say the word that you should be exercising and regards to your mental health it's obviously that's a real indicator it's like oh you know go and do some um, exercise that's going to really help with your mental health but that word should and then suddenly you're feeling guilty because you're not exercising you're like what should you do so having had your diagnosis how have you yeah how have you been able to weave exercise into your life and how if it has helped you know how has that helped and and what's
1: your relationship now I'm gonna take this in a bit of a divergent for a little bit um but (laughs) I have had a really up and down relationship with exercise since my diagnosis um so I was diagnosed August 2018 up to that point, so at the point of diagnosis, really low in energy, really poor relationship with exercise. Like I was pretty angry about it, the fact that I couldn't do things that I wanted to do, things making me feel worse. It was, it was not a fun time. Um, around that time, I can't remember who introduced me to it, but there is a, um, a formula developed for chronic fatigue around heart rate management. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um, but it takes your so there's a standard formula for your upper heart rate ranges while you're exercising. Um the 220 minus your age, and then there's a percentage of it. But this reduces it even further. So that was my starting point with exercise once I was diagnosed. Um so I went and used that formula. I had my heart rate monitor on my wrist. Swimming I found was one of the easiest things to keep my heart rate low and do some movement. And water exercises are typically good with fibromyalgia as well. So I was able to do some swimming. My heart my um heart rate monitor, my wrist would buzz when I got to the upper limit and I'd stop, wait for it to come down, keep going again. It was really frustrating. It was not fun at all. But that was the limit of what I was able to do without having a flare-up. And that was what was important at the time. And I knew that eventually it would get better. Um, So we started with that. And then I did a whole lot of gut work with my clinical nutritionist. And then I was still having issues with um, exercise and causing flare-ups. So I'd address a lot of other flare-ups in my fibromyalgia. Everything was tracking along well. But I was still getting really irritated about these exercise flare-ups. Um, So, I went into my GP and I was like, This is what's happening. I'm not super happy with the path we're going down in terms of management at the moment. What do we need to do? And she was like, "Mm, You've got fibromyalgia. You just need to stop running and jumping. And I was like, "Mm, I really like netball though. So, and I'm 25. So, I'm really not taking that as an answer. Um, I went back to my clinical nutritionist and just for disclosure, I see clinical nutritionist because I don't like analyzing my own health. So I went back to her and was like, look, this is the situation. I'm really like, I'm not happy with where we're at here. What What's your thinking? Um, and she recommended that I did oats testing, which is organic acid testing, which tests the um, the byproducts of different metabolites in the body. And what we found out of that testing was super interesting. And I was considered exercise intolerant at that point, which is a fa- like fascinating term to have, but I was exercise intolerant. Um, I had a bacteria in my body that was um, affecting the Krebs cycle, which is the energy production cycle in the body. And it was slowing that down. So what was happening is that you have three um, energy systems in the body And mine was changing over at the wrong point in time because of the toxins this bacteria was producing in my body. Super interesting stuff. So we were able to address that bacteria. And that is when I was able to start exercising so much more. So I was still monitoring my heart rate for a bit around that time, but not long after that, I stopped monitoring my heart rate. So I was able to push myself as much as I wanted at exercise and I was recovering a whole lot better. So this was only in the last probably 18 months that we found that bacteria. So I was able to, you know, I was going to reform a Pilates three to five times a week. I started running again and I did a half marathon six months ago in two and a half hours, three weeks post COVID and didn't flare up too badly. Like I had a few days after where I was a bit sore, but like it was not days in bed, which I would have had previously.
0: That is really exciting. Um That is, I mean, I am not a nutrition expert, so like this information is, it's, it's, like genuinely extremely interesting i mean just mm. from a kind of having seen quite a few patients with fibromyalgia and then you know obviously your expertise is you know autoimmune um health and nutrition and you know for me the patients that i see it just and and i see quite a few kind of autoimmune patients and with mm. you know increase of just an increased inflammatory load really but often with these patients you just feel as if their bodies are working so hard Mm -hmm. and and it's taking that energy out and that is so interesting almost like that misfiring of the Krebs cycle and yes like it it really you know that really makes sense to me and I guess that's all we can say isn't it this is a personal anecdotal experience um and I am sure you've yeah. probably got some really interesting research that I could even put in the comments or articles that kind of thing um so that people can kind of you know dive into this a little bit more themselves but that just sounds so sensible And how has your experience kind of informed your treatment and awareness of, I mean, is that why you've got into kind of autoimmune side of things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It has been. Um, I think like it is that fine line of having personal experience, but also understanding that everyone is different to me and autoimmune illnesses present so differently in different people like even one person with fibromyalgia compared to another person with fibromyalgia is so different and to be honest I was really hesitant when I went into this field of did I want to treat people with fibromyalgia given that I live with it and I deal with it every day but once I started seeing how different it was I was actually okay with it because I do have that experience but and I've done so much research into it for myself that other people with it and seeing different presentations of it is really interesting um fibromyalgia also comes with a whole lot of comorbidities um which are other conditions that sit alongside fibromyalgia so for me a lot of mine is digestive whereas for other people there's a wee skin conditions and things like that so those treating those comorbidities as well changes the game compared to each it makes each case very different and I
0: suppose, as with more better research, like autoimmune mm. conditions, you know, when you're looking at, the, you know, different presentations, so like psoriatic arthritis, you know, you're looking at the skin, yes. you're obviously seeing the arthritis, disease, and then, you know, some of the HAB27, you know, you're thinking about mm-hmm. eye infections, you're thinking about urine infections, you know, there's so many different ways these groups of inflammatory conditions present and actually where it's sort of chicken or egg where you start from isn't it but these are going to make enormous changes to people's lives if you can address their specific symptoms um so where are you at now in terms of kind of exercise do you I mean where do, where did you start from I mean that sounds amazing that obviously you know you had your diagnosis you work with that from a nutrition mm. perspective and that really helped you go with exercise but do you find that you you know it is still kind of like tokens in tokens out kind of feeling
1: it depends on where I'm at I'm also ADHD we found out recently um, which interestingly goes quite commonly with fibromyalgia because of the serotonin um, pathways but I, so I obsess over something and then I'm like, oh, done. What's next? Um, which was my half marathon. So I loved it, loved training for it. And then I was like, oh, that's done. So I, yeah, so I do tend to, like, I would just find an exercise and i love it. And that's what I do for six to 12 months. I'm starting to get back into running again now. So we'll see what happens next. Um, but not so much like um, tokens in, tokens out, depending on where I'm at and what else I'm doing in my life kind of thing if i'm managing everything like other stresses really well i can cope perfectly fine um if i'm not coping so well with other stresses i'm not doing my meditations i'm not doing my journaling which is what's been happening lately then i'm a bit lower on my energy and i have to monitor myself a bit more but if i'm on top of nutrition sleep stress then i'm fine to exercise and do whatever i want
0: Yeah. I mean, and that to me sounds like perfectly normal in terms of, you know, what everybody needs to do, because it's all, it's very well to say, yeah, that your symptoms were because of, you you know, a rheumatological, like your fibromyalgia, Mm. but equally you can't negate the importance of all the other physical factors that feed in. And I include mental health in one of those physical factors in terms of, the way that stress impacts you physiologically so Absolutely. you mentioning there so you're just trying to go through like all the basics like sleep hydration nutrition mm-hmm. um yeah so what i mean if you could sort of thinking about some i guess i don't know maybe if you've got like a or not like a tick box or certain things that you mm-hmm. do kind of check off if you are feeling yeah. that fibro is kind of peering out at you do you have a yep. system that you use or how do you yep. go about yeah
1: so yeah so if I'm starting to feel any signs of flare-up like straight onto really clean foods anti-inflammatory foods straight away um but that's also because I'm a nutritionist um sleep getting hydrated there's a lot like I have a few like little things that work for me hot baths and showers um weighted blankets uh those kind of things are sensory kind of things that work for me in terms of pain management I don't know how much your audience knows about pain management but the nerves can only send one message at a time so if you're sending another message it can't send that pain message as well uh, so that's why I find hot showers and weighted blankets really helpful And then some yoga or gentle exit, like gentle movement is probably my next go to after that. Because I find with my fibromyalgia that I flare up if I've done too much, but I will also flare up if I've done nothing. So I have to find that Goldilocks, not too much, not too little, um, in terms of movement for me. Yeah. And,
0: i imagine yeah from a point of view of yeah just keeping all those metabolites of inflammation just kind of move you know just keeping that body moving and then mm. allowing your body to recoup and manage the just the ongoing maintenance that it needs to do without kind of over doing it <laughs> like too much yeah
1: that's it yeah so yoga and swimming are probably my go-tos for that lighter level of exercise
0: yeah i I, i'm a big fan of both of those things is the kind of exactly that that kind of like backstop almost because you're the things tend to not get missed with yoga and then it does everything it does the whole thing doesn't it and as long as you can stay in charge and be aware of what's right for you when you're doing the yoga and not go like all competitive yoga (laughs) then and all the breath works amazing isn't it all of that is so good and then of course physically yeah the um yeah swimming's fantastic isn't it but all that long chain work kind of I describe it as like like doing the dot to dot you know maybe there's some little bits yeah it's like basically you're doing swimming and yoga you're pretty much going to get most things covered aren't you and the strength build with swimming is is a lovely Mm -hmm. foundation isn't it just kind of like work from
1: that time in nature I think also can't be ignored too like the the swimming outdoor pool preferably like I don't like swimming indoors if I can avoid it um is really helpful too I think
0: well that's a whole nother level because so yeah. yeah just to remind our listeners we're in the winter here in the UK like we're right in the middle of it I've got a cold you can probably hear it Courtney is in Australia in Brisbane <laughs> so like that is I mean that is the, the thing that I, I'm only loath to sort of say, but we, yeah go swimming and it's just like oh it can be quite unpleasant in the winter in yes. the UK to go to a kind of public swimming pool is not the the nicest idea but yeah as you say out yeah swimming to you means outside as well that's amazing yeah yeah um so if you were going to if someone came to you and said look I think I have got um fibromyalgia maybe they've already got the diagnosis and they are way back where you were, where they're like, I'm needing 13 or 14 hours sleep. I'm going around this little circle. What would be maybe like the sort of two or three things that you would say to that person, you know, whether from, you know, nutritionally or just a personal perspective?
1: It does get better. It does change. Don't hang around in support groups that aren't supportive. Like I find Instagram a lot more supportive than Facebook. That's just my observation. But yeah, like it does, it does change. It does give it. Like I refuse to look at stages of fibromyalgia because last time I looked at it, like some of my symptoms were stage three, some were stage seven. And this idea that you just go from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven, and that's it, and then it's just the worst it can be, It's just like ridiculous. And like I, I had this, like I had this moment. I can't. It was quite early on where I was like, if you don't treat something, of course it's going to get worse. Why are we sitting here talking about stages of fibromyalgia by doing nothing about it? Like, what do you expect to happen? So, yeah, I would like it does get better. You can be the one that it, it does change for. Secondly, I would say to get a practitioner, whether it's a nutritionist, a naturopath, some a clinic, like a um holistic doctor, someone who can look at things holistically to look at your case and work with you because when you are so deep in it and like, as I said before, like I can't take my own biases away from my own health, even as a practitioner, not only can you not take your own biases away from it, but you're also dealing with so much brain fog. Having someone to be clear with you around the next steps to take is really important. And it also takes the pressure away from you for having to research everything. So having a practitioner, you can trust that you can go in and just say, this is what's happening. What do I do? And they can say, this is what you need to do. Go away and do it. It just takes that level of thinking out for you, which you don't have energy to do. Um, and I would also say on that, that in the last couple of years, telehealth options have expanded so much. Like if you can't find someone locally to you, do not be afraid to go on telling us like I was the same. I couldn't find a nutritionist that I was happy seeing um, where I was. So I saw someone over the other side of the country because that's who I was confident with seeing. And then thirdly, I would say, just take it slowly. Um, it's, it's really frustrating and it's really hard not to rush everything and trying to achieve everything. Um, but, and I guess kind of related to that, but maybe not. Um, don't discount seeing a psychologist. Um, I have seen a few over the years that have been incredibly helpful, and a lot of people, when I mention psychologists around autoimmune diseases and fibromyalgia, will be like, "Yeah, but it's not all in my head." And I'm like, "No, I'm not saying that it's all, like go see a psychologist because it's in your head, but they can help process a lot of the feelings and grief and frustration." Around the diagnosis and not being able to do things and what it means for you and your life, given that a lot of these things are lifelong conditions. So being able to process and talk through that is also really important.
0: That is fantastic advice, Courtney. have been an absolutely amazing guest to be able to give your personal spin or your personal experience on fibromyalgia getting back to exercise but of course you're also an expert in the field so this will be so helpful for my listeners i just want to say thank you for coming on um and also where can we find you where can people find you if they want to sort of um you know see some of the work that you're doing at the moment
1: yeah absolutely So I am on Instagram. So I am at Court Garfoot on Instagram. I'm mainly talking about chronic illness and my life there. There is also Court Garfoot Nutrition, if you're interested in more of the nutrition side of things. And I'm also Court Garfoot Nutrition on Facebook as well.
0: That is fantastic. I will put all of those links in the notes too. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on How I Got Back to
1: Exercise. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing.
0: He did it amazing <laughs> oh that was so good I don't think I'm gonna have to edit uh, basically I would just edit all of the stuff that I said out <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that was so good thank you I'm not I'm gonna not need to edit that audio at all so that's really helpful like thank you so much and I mean yeah I was gonna say oh people could just come and talk to you in Australia but I guess I don't know how that works really because I have had a few people sort of approach me and say oh can you help me and I'm like well actually I'm not an osteopath in America or Canada, wherever
1: yeah but, so America and Canada are different but I can take on UK clients
0: okay that is that's yeah that's really good. handy in that case because to yeah. be honest it is a bit tricky it's probably the middle of the night if you know and I'll let you go but um no, no,
1: no. It's only because well, I'm in Brisbane now, the time zones have changed and I'm earlier here than I was previously. So it's only
0: 8.30. Oh, so that's actually okay, isn't it, for like, you know, like evening patients and stuff. So that's really, yeah. That's yeah, that's really it. Up-